Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, So before on this show, we've done a check-in on me where I read from my bank account what I've spent money on in the past few weeks, um, just as sort of like a look back on um, what's going on with me and also, you know, what I'm prioritizing and what I'm spending my hard-earned money on, let's say, and also in the interest of transparency for this podcast. And I wanted to do that again because in the interest, again, of (laughs) that beautiful word, transparency, I've been keeping something from you guys. Um... I am not in a relationship anymore. I got broken up with in November. And I, since then, have been, have added a new expense to my usual expenses. And that is a therapist and a psychiatrist. And those are expensive. My therapist is like, $125 a session and I go once a week and the psychiatrist is $150 a session. When I lived in New York, I went to therapy at different Jewish community centers or schools. And so those were sliding scale and they were much less expensive. Um, This is the first time that I'm actually like paying full, full price for this type of thing. And it's like a lot of money. Sometimes you get unexpected medical expenses, and mental health is part of that. And so that's now factoring into my budget. I've also been paying my student loans. I mentioned that briefly. I took over my student loans from my parents. So that's $105 here, $340 there, both going to student loans. And 
One of my checking accounts is incredibly low right now. I have two checking accounts, and one is down to $29, which is not great. And then I spent $37 at Staples yesterday buying a prop for a sketch. So I'm doing great. <laughs> you got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's back with money with gas. Gabby Dunn here, your aforementioned blast of sun. And I'm still bad with money. We've talked about the wage gap between men and women many times on Bad With Money, in particular in our episodes with Lexi Alexander and Sally Krawcheck. Lexi and Sally gave us detailed descriptions of the sexism women face in the workplace, and I've told you all many times about my own personal struggles with it. But systemic financial prejudice isn't just a gender issue. It's also a racial issue. Intersectionality. We've touched on this a bit in previous episodes. Roxanne Gay and Ashley C. Ford both spoke eloquently about the challenges of being successful black women in media, for example. But there's a whole lot more to talk about when it comes to race and money. And while I have a sensitivity to a lot of these issues of marginalization as a queer woman, I'm still a queer white lady. And that means there's a lot of complexities around race and money that I simply don't experience. So today on the show, we're talking to my friend Andrew T., who's the host of a podcast called Yo, Is This Racist?, where he tirelessly reminds us that even things that might not seem racist are often, in fact, incredibly problematic if you stop and think about them for more than, I don't know, a second. And when it comes to money, this is a really critical question, because we tend to assume that once people have a lot of it, racial divisions start to fade. But as we're about to learn, the truth is that money only makes the contrast and cultural experience even starker. As I've been doing this show, I was thinking a lot about the intersection between um, mental health and money and addiction and money. And I wanted to cover race and money mm -hmm. because I think oftentimes you hear this like wage gap thing of like, well, women make, you know, 79 cents to every man's dollar. And then you have to be like white women, white mm -hmm. women make 79 cents to every man's dollar. Black women, Latino women, trans women uh, of any race like make less. So um, one thing that we were texting about before you came here was if there's a any sort of wage gap with white men and then men of color. Actually, per like hour, hourly wage, Asian men earn more than white men. $24 to uh, white men's $21 what? an hour. Why? And, well, we can't, okay, I got okay. more. But uh, black and Latino men make 15 and $14 per hour. Shit. Uh, and black and Latino women make 13 and $12 an hour. And Asian women also make less than, than white men. So... How does it, that make any – if you're going to be like Asians are smart, we need to pay them more, but right. only Asian men? Exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the stereotype being played out, which is that like Asian men are hardworking, industrious nerds, and Asian women are sex flowers, basically, oh, or dragon ladies. You yeah. Know? So there's that perception. But then the also the thing reading between the lines is – and we texted a little bit about this – is – Asian people, it's so I'm Asian, but I talk about uh, race a lot. So therefore, uh, in America, that usually involves white people uh, and 
you know, I don't like to use the word against, but against black people and Latino people mm-hmm. and Muslim, that sort of Yeah, Asians get left out of the racism conversation a little a bit, yeah. It, it, they, certainly we get left out of the worst part of it. And this is like a prime example, which is that this is a place where the stereotype cuts towards Asian men, mm-hmm. um, I- I- including above uh, white men, the otherwise kings of the universe. <laughs> Um, but is that in all fields or is this just in like, I mean, I so this like is, this is for everything. Yeah. And like white men obviously also have the greatest range because, you know, there's a lot more poor white people, mm-hmm. a lot more poor, unemployed or whatever white men, but also the absolute top of the ladder, give or take, mm-hmm. um, especially in America, let's say mm-hmm. um, East Asian people. Yeah. And men in particular are. It's, uh, I have a different study. I brought two studies. <laughs> Andrew, um, you're impressing me so much. Uh, well, I had to, because I was like, I really. Also, oh my God, wait a minute. I can't talk out of my ass for this. I know. But also you're Asian and you brought two studies and homework and research. <laughs> I brought three studies. Andrew! <laughs> well, this isn't a study. This is, I think, um, don't listen to the stereotype. I'm not normally industrious. I just didn't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> um, Asian, quote unquote, is like runs a big gamut. So right. Cambodians... And Hmong people are actually below the median income. Um, so, so the quote I have pulled from, I believe, Wikipedia, Indian Americans currently have the highest median household income of any ethnic group in the United States, while Bhutanese Americans have the lowest. Okay. So, And that's all under Asian, basically. Right. So it's, it's also a wide gamut of like things you can be. So that's a tricky thing when people say Asians... There's a lot of like shit that gets caught up in that. Where right. What like, do you actually mean? Yeah. And, and parsing that out, what you really see is lighter skinned people do way better than darker skinned people. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is it just because like a Chinese or a Japanese person would have lighter skin? So they're elevated above like a, an Indian or. Well, I mean, Indian people do the best. But why is that? Um, I think probably because they have the largest population and they're not seen as Asian by like the the demographers see them as Asian Um, people hiring people running Goldman Sachs don't see them as Asian. Do you think that they get like um, that stereotype of like, oh, Asian or Indians are good at math and good at I would say that that is stuff or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it's a self-fulfilling stereotype, too. It's like um, more listen, like. Almost everyone in my family, like, I'm a writer, dumbass, comedy-ish person. Everyone else, I just went to a family wedding this weekend, everyone is a physician or an engineer. And it is like, because, and I was talking to a friend, another Asian friend about this, it's because my family doesn't know anyone who does entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like, and so it's not like a path. You can't just be like, oh, well, you know, uncle whoever was used to write on, on, fucking you know laverne and shirley right so now he will give you a job yeah or even just like that's a job that you can have yeah that a human being can have Mm -hmm. not a you know just some rarefied type of well that's media representation right if you don't see other people doing it if you don't see people who look like you doing it then you're like i guess it's not a job for me exactly i mean shout out to people like like justin lynn who like is like the only reason why my parents are like, okay, I understand <laughs> what this is. Yeah. Because like, I, otherwise I wouldn't even be, not allowed, because it would just be, how could you get paid for writing? It's just words. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I mean, so th- I also wanted to talk about 
the idea of like nouveau riche and like white trash and like the idea of how white people with money are viewed versus mm-hmm. specifically like black people with money that mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you know it's funny that the rapper buys a bunch of gold chains mm-hmm. when he gets money mm-hmm. but like it's totally fine that like the white girl you know gets a bugatti or whatever exactly yeah it cuts both ways as in the reason why people who have been historically underrepresented in the economy, mm-hmm. in money, with access to money. So, like, you know, start from you were property into with no rights to money. Right. Into once you make money, you're your... excited, and also you don't yeah. you don't know how. Well, there's and, no but also for it's, how to do it. It's it cuts to your self esteem when you're implicitly told you don't deserve money. Or you are property. Yeah. Then when you have it, you, you know, as I understand it, you you, you can you express yourself by saying, fuck you to society. Mm-hmm. Look at this money. I mean, I come from a background that you could label white trash. Mm-hmm. And that is an inherently racist term, right? Because mm-hmm. it's saying that other trash isn't white and it's notable that you are white and don't have money. Yeah. And so I like or, right, you know. You're the anomaly when you're white trash. Right. It's like, ugh. But I think a lot about happening. myself as like a cheesy nouveau riche person mm-hmm. where like as soon as I – like I do I did like a series of jokes on Twitter where I was like as soon as I get money, don't think I'm not getting a French manicure. Like don't think right, I'm not right, like right. just going to like have the biggest gold hoop earrings you've ever seen in your life. Like whatever. Like, right. And that's sort of like making fun of how – because I never had it, mm-hmm. I'm like just acting out. Yeah. But, exactly. And then, but then that – the flip side of the like white trash stereotype is also like you know Fifty Cent getting some money and just being like I own seventy cars right and like like the old money white people <laughs> then they make fun of like the new money rich black people and like who it, it's a weird even within richness it's a a, a race thing still like yeah oh, yeah absolutely or like the thing about Chris Rock said mm-hmm. about rich how versus wealthy. Is it? Is it? It was yeah. Chris was Rock. Chris, Rock, Chris right? Rock was basically. I think he said he's like one of the most successful black entertainers, and the guy that lives next door to him is a dentist. In my neighborhood, there are four black people, hundreds of houses, four black people. Who are these black people? Well, it's me. I'm a decent comedian. I'm all right. Uh, Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige, one of the greatest R&B singers to ever walk the earth. Jay-Z, one of the greatest rappers to ever live. Eddie Murphy, one of the funniest actors to ever, ever do it. Do you know what the white man that lives next door to me does for a living? He's a fucking dentist. He ain't the best dentist in the world. He ain't going to the dental hall of fame. He don't get plaques for getting rid of plaque. He's just a yank your tooth out dentist. See, the black man got to fly to get something that the white man can walk to. A lot of people who are sort of racism deniers like to say it's class, not race. Mm-hmm. And the actual answer is it's absolutely class and race. Mm-hmm. And if you can't see how class and race are so inextricably linked mm-hmm. then you don't get to say it's class not race because if you get if you think you have one level of nuance mm-hmm. where you think like the existence of chris rock is evidence for your side then you have to also to his point like why is chris rock equivalent to a dentist um you know because i always so so one thing i always get on yo is this racist that uh, i always think is 
hilarious uh, because it's like it almost makes sense, but it's wrong is people racists uh, writing in to complain about affirmative action mm-hmm. and uh, which sort of is like a thing that is is part of this discussion, maybe a big part of this discussion. And and the example I've gotten a bunch of times, I don't use it so much these days, but I've gotten a b- bunch before is like, why should Malia Obama get my spot, quote unquote, in right. college? Right. And the thing that is funny about that is a poor white person who doesn't have as many advantages sees a rich black person and thinks racism is over and it's all class. No, but you can't buy you can't buy your way out of racism. Exactly. Yeah. How many like wealthy black people have been pulled over by cops and still like you know right. beaten it's, up? Th- and... Yeah, it, it you can't buy that away. And also Malia Obama's competition is fucking Barbara Bush. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like, hey, guess what? If you're comparing the top of the system to each other, the white rich person still has the advantage over, like, also, a rich are black you person. implying that Malia Obama has never experienced racism? Yeah, like, it's just that's, kind of that's like the a, idea. Yeah, that's exactly point, what people and the think. Point of diversity is like it's better for everyone to have diversity yeah. to have right. different points of view <laughs> like to have people who are coming from a different background culturally or a different have had different racial experiences yeah. than you have like that counts for a lot and that betters right. the entire environment i mean it is interesting right because class is very important and i can understand why you know the poor white presumably donald trump supporters are so incised and mm-hmm. so worked up because they think that these rich black people are proof that they have it worse and that everything is bad for them and that they're like, yeah, I think they want to blame people that are not to blame. Oh yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, without like turning into a class warrior here, (laughs) like poor white people and poor all people have the same enemy. Rich white people. <laughs> like, I, it's, I mean, I never, I came from a background that was not financially that great. And I still would never claim to understand the pain of like the racial oppression systemically that occurs that has probably affected the Obama daughters sure. more than it's ever affected me. Well, I will say this. Even if not, it's still kind of like an eyes on the prize kind of jam. Like, look, if you're a a white person who's never been given anything and had to struggle and work and Mm -hmm. like it is really counterproductive for you to be racist because those are the only people that can help you and relate to you Mm -hmm. in terms of not being poor as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) But there's even stuff that. I don't know. There's got to even be little things that I don't even notice. Like, I pawned a Mm -hmm. bunch of stuff when I lived in New York. Like, Mm -hmm. was it easier for me to pawn stuff because the pawn shop owner was like, oh, a little white girl. Like, I'll take whatever she's selling. I'm not going to think that she stole it. I'm not going to think that she, you know, like, there are, even within, like, the system of being broke. Right. There's There's different types of broke. Right. I don't know. Even, like, if I had been super broke and I had wanted to do sex work, like, 
would I have gotten more money for that or been more valued because I'm oh, like right. a white, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm a white girl. Like yeah, there's yeah. so many levels to it that you right. can't just go, which rich black people prove that I'm right. more disenfranchised. <laughs> yeah. That racism there's like is new, not, yeah, There's yeah. nuance to it that I don't think people take into account when they say that, but they're very angry. That's why. How I, do they not see that Donald Trump is their enemy? I don't know. It's amazing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I He's a rich it. white guy. Why do you think he <laughs> relates to you? Um, if you're a poor white person, Donald Trump is the factory owner who laid you off. Right? He's not the champ. It's so funny. I love when people say the country should be run like a business because it's like, you know, businesses are like all about firing people so that they don't have to pay mm-hmm. money and like keeping their workers like as pacified and as like compensating them as little as possible. What do you think about minorities who are are like Trump, who are interested in Trump? Well, I go two ways about it. I think that they are wrong personally, but there is a part of me, for instance, like your um, Amarosas in Mm -hmm. the world, that is like, I do think there is a little bit of perverse progress in there that a um, black woman could align herself with a racist for, by choice. Do you think she's subverting it? There is, like, a certain amount of progress that can be, that like, can be ascribed to the world that, like, a person of color can be so fucking dumb and just have the option now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a whole thing. But then I'm like, how do you think you got that right? Yeah. <laughs> From other people of color who but fought you know before what? you. Frivolously throwing away your rights and privileges is a hallmark of having them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just being able to just be like, ah, fuck all this. I don't care. I want to be famous. <laughs> That's that's been white people's privilege forever. Uh, I wanted to also bring up um, Asian Americans against uh, affirmative action. Yeah, what's who that about? are the people I hate some of the most? Well, uh, because going back to what we talked about earlier with the um, with the wage gap, if you look at it from a certain perspective, affirmative action, quote unquote, hurts Asian men more Why? Than, more than white men. Like, African-Americans are pushing out Asian men who would go to college more so than pushing out white men who would go to that college. Correct. That's the argument. It is wrong. And they're like, well, these Asian men have worked the hardest. That's, yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. The problem is with the short-sighted Asian people is, you don't like, once you lose track of the things you've been given Mm -hmm. and just start thinking about the things that you have had maybe taken away, it's like, hey, Asian people, the reason you did so well in school, one reason, it's not the reason, but one reason (laughs) is that teachers thought you would do well. Uh, And the study that I remember from psychology class a long time ago, which I didn't bring the actual study for to this, is that... (laughs) Uh, the experiment that was done was um, they went to teachers and just randomly went through their like their class lot roles and told the teachers randomly that half the students were bright and half of them were not bright. Oh, okay. And then on average, all of the bright ex- uh, the expectancy effect that's what it's called all the all the bright students at the end of the semester tested better than all the not bright students because the teacher treated them like they would do yeah, better, yeah, and subconsciously. It's not like they were di- they taught them no, differently yeah. or whatever, but it just so that is what happens in the broad sense across the board for like Asian and white people and men 
over women are all just treated like you're smarter. Do you feel like you understand a lot about money or no? Um, I feel like now that I'm... So when I had a nine to five, I was super, super, super bad with money. And now that I don't, I'm getting much better. Like, like working in entertainment, you're like, oh, now I have to make a fucking budget and mm-hmm. think about stuff that mm-hmm. I never used to before. I wish I had the money skills, the limited money skills I do now when I was like working my desk I think when you have a nine to five you're just like money will come in every week so who cares it's sloughing down the trough right and it'll be there and I just scoop it up with my snout did you (laughs) did you know how much you were getting paid in relative to other people at your nine to five that I was gonna bring this up I made it so okay I do have some actual advice oh my god please Um, let me get out a pen um so here's (laughs) what it is is like yeah, the I did not know, but I always wish I'd had the guts to tell people and ask people because that is like the number one way that people and women especially get screwed. Yeah. Is that like same work, vastly different salaries, and that would be eliminated. When I was working at Comedy Central, um Ooh, I was there I too. Was, <laughs> this is after you left. It was after I left. <laughs> um I was, uh, I think I just must have gotten really, like, politically active. And, oh, this, here's what it was. is I was, like, very frustrated with my position there because I felt like I was doing a lot more work than other people and being asked to do a lot more things. And there was a moment where I, I think I had just gotten, like, my yearly bonus. So, look, this story comes from a huge place of privilege. But I was, like, I wanted to, like, post my pay stub on the wall and just like unionize everyone. I feel like that was, that's like almost <laughs> like the only way you can start is just like putting your shit out there and saying like, this is where I am. Where are we? Oh, that would have been incredible. It would have been a really insane political act, but I was too embarrassed <laughs> and not ready to totally torch the bridges. We had, we, when I worked at BuzzFeed, we all went out to dinner one time and a bunch of people just started saying their salaries and yeah. it got so heated because yeah. we realized what some people were making versus other people and everyone lost their mind. Yeah. I think, but I think that like <laughs> is the number one way. Look, so my, uh, I was thinking, so I, before I came in the studio, I was kind of roughly ordering like how to um, fix things from like possible to impossible. Great. So on the impossible scale, fix racism, fix sexism, you know, yeah. give everyone a good education, an equal education and good education from mm-hmm. the start. Um, I wrote down, just because Donald Trump's been going on about it, the inheritance tax is so fucking racist. Or the inheritance tax is not racist. Fighting the inheritance tax is racist. What? Like, Say more about that. Well, because like, if you think about, like the inheritance tax seems very vague, right? Um, your dad has a bunch of money, he dies, gives it to you. Mm-hmm. With the inheritance tax, you pay a tax on that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he presumably paid taxes the first time when he made the money or whatever. Okay. And the reason is because, like, that's just sort of the cost of having a fucking stable society is, like, you can't just have wealth passed down because we live in a society in America where 
200 years ago, there was a whole generation of black people who, who didn't, didn't get, get that. Yeah, who yeah. didn't have anything to pass down. Mm-hmm. And like compounding that like inheritance wealth and advantage is bad for society. Yeah. Um, okay, so shit like that. But then I was thinking on the like the almost plausible side mm-hmm. is um, really breaking down this like it's a gauche to talk about how much you make. Uh, well, that's the like, point of this myth. podcast. Yeah. But I think really do it. I think like like breaking that social taboo mm-hmm. is like the first way because that's how you can see in your office everyone was making a different amount for the same work mm-hmm. and that is fucking crazy. Yeah. Um that's where the system lets the status quo continue. Because well, it, it was also like negotiation. Confidence. This and is confidence, a big yeah. thing. This was a big thing for me talking about the different ways that people were paid at BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. When you are a minority mm-hmm. and you grow up being so devalued, like you just like, you know, are made fun of in racist ways yeah. in school. And then you go and watch movies and there's no people who look like you in the movie. And then, you know, Barbie is white. Like mm-hmm. just like all these things you grow up with that are so yeah. ingrained. Well, Barbie is white and Ken is a doctor. Right. Is the thing. The the girl, you know, or like the girl, you know, the girl doesn't want to go with you to the prom because you're Asian. Whatever yeah, it is, yeah. you know what I mean? Then you get to the point where you're in an HR room mm-hmm. and someone at a media company that you really want this job says mm-hmm. to you, well, this is your starting salary. Mm-hmm. You, a white man goes, um, let's negotiate this. Yeah, exactly. Because they've been built their whole lives with the confidence mm-hmm. to ask for more money. In my experience there... A lot of the people that were being paid less were minorities because they get into that room and they're so grateful to even have the job mm-hmm. that they just go, okay. Or there's more of an implicit threat that they, they have. Don't they be feel difficult. Like they don't have, be yeah, difficult. Don't be the difficult person. Don't be a, an angry black woman. Don't be a difficult, you yeah. know, like a gay militant. Don't like, be a don't... bee. Right. Um, here is my second piece of uh, advice gained from show business. Um and this is going to sound ridiculous, but I actually have a, a way to explain this. Have an agent. And what I mean by that is when you feel like you're replaceable, you don't have leverage, it is much harder to negotiate on your own behalf mm-hmm. um, than it is to negotiate for someone else. Mm-hmm. So when I say have an agent, I don't mean oh, have a fucking you know licensed agent. I helped my cousin um, when she was... Um, She's a physician, and she felt like she was being underpaid. And she's, like, a very, like, strong woman. Like, she's mm-hmm. very, like, you know, people would call her bitchy. Like, mm-hmm. but, like, and she might even call herself that. I don't even like saying that word. I felt uncomfortable saying it now. I watched your face, and it I was very like uncomfortable. Um, but even she did not want to negotiate. Like, and I was like, just give me your phone. I'm going to write this email for you right now. Yeah. Like, because. I've done that. Yeah. Just find a friend and no matter who they are, even if you think they seem timid, they will do a better job of speaking up for you than you will of speaking up for yourself. That's so funny. So when I say, I've like, done that. Always do that. Yeah, that that is the new rule. When negotiations, you're negotiating anything, just have someone else do it. Ideally, have it be the biggest asshole that you know that is on your <laughs> side. But honestly, anyone. The other way to do this is if you don't have access to a friend or you need to like be confident. Yeah. Think of the highest number you can dream of, close your eyes, add, and this will differ, but if we're assuming your audience uh, is about your age, um, think of the highest yearly salary you can think of, close your eyes, add $5,000 to that, and say it out loud without thinking again. 
Oh. Just do that. And because it is a negotiation. If anything, they'll give you less. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, they Go will in, give you less. But say a hundred k, walk out with eighty k. Yeah, have leverage and be like because someone else will say that, and they will get you know they will negotiate to a higher point. I I think the thing is it's just like fucking skydiving mm-hmm. or whatever. Like you just have to close your eyes, find that like tiny cold place <laughs> that's in the middle of your torso between your heart and your stomach, and Hold on to it and then just say the craziest thing you can think of. Yeah. That is like truly my advice. Because that's what, that is what the white people are doing. But if anyone wants to be the um, Martin Luther of breaking down class walls that I couldn't be, just fucking tape your pay stub to your door or your your cubicle wall or whatever. And then everyone starts to do it and then there's a revolution. Yeah. That's the, that's the actual revolution. And really... If you think about it, the only reason we don't do it is because we're told it's tacky. Right. A lot of shit that we're told is tacky is just to preserve the status quo. It's funny listening to that because we recorded the interview before the election. And we touch a little bit on Trump and the new America a bit, but... We did not think it would be a reality (laughs) at the time that we recorded. And now it is. Today, as I was coming here to record this closing of the episode, I was looking at tweets and reading about the confirmation hearings for Jeff Sessions and about, you know, his history with systemic racism. And this episode felt more relevant than ever. As a white person, right, I am privileged to be able to have a show called Bad With Money, and it's funny. And it's seen as maybe irresponsible, and I do get some, you know, mean comments about how I'm dumb or irresponsible, but I'm not representing an entire stereotype of of a race by being bad with money. The ability to, like, talk about and laugh about being lower class is a privilege that I have. And I just wanted to highlight that on the show before we close out season one. And if we do get a season two, we'll be recording these interviews where the idea of Trump winning isn't a funny joke that Andrew and I were tossing about um, during our interview. It's a reality. And I think we're going to have to be listening to this show with a little bit more of an ear to the systemic problems. I'm really just gunning for a season two from Panoply. If they could give us a season two, that'd be great. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate us in iTunes, subscribe, and tell all your friends who are also bad with money that this is the show for them. Also tell your friends who put the status in status quo. Don't have friends like that. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Original music for our show is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin. And please, guys, send an email or a voice memo to badwithmoney at slate.com and tell me some ways the show has helped you be better with money, made you worse with money, just made you feel, and we'll share your responses on the air in the finale. So please, let me hear it. Badwithmoney at slate.com. Go, 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 write me an email. I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'll talk to you next time. 
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.